You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guest, Jason Traff, president and co-founder of Shipwell. In the wake of an unprecedented global disruption, entire industries have had to assess and reassess how business gets done. For companies who want to focus on sustainability, how do they prioritize their resources to maintain an efficient supply chain and return value to customers and stakeholders while not compromising on their sustainability efforts. Jason Traff, co-founder and president of Shipwell, explains how it's not always easy being green, but it can be done. Joining us today on the Inbound Logistics Podcast is Jason Traff, president and co-founder of Shipwell. Jason, thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with us today. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you. Jason, uh, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our audience, if you would be so kind. Uh, Give us a little bit of info about you, uh, your background in the industry, and uh, what you're doing with Shipwell today. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Jason Traff. I'm Shipwell's co-founder and president. Uh, You know, my background is uh, very typical, half Chinese, half Swedish, grew up in East Texas. Um, So, you know, there are just tons of us (laughs) out there. Um, for me, you know, my background is mostly finance and entrepreneurship. Uh, Shipwell is my third company, but uh, my professional career was largely, you know, doing private equity out of Hong Kong, uh, which I loved. I loved seeing all the different industries and learning about them. But um, I started a business while I was out there. It was called Copycat Paintings. It employed a thousand people. We did reproduction artwork. And so, you know, we shipped art to four continents and, uh, you know, we dealt with a lot of issues in that business, but uh, shipping was our number one customer complaint. And so fast forward a few years in a few different companies, I'd gone through MIT, dropped out, went back, graduated. My Chinese mother was very happy about that one, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then I reconnected with uh, with my co-founder, Greg, uh, and we share MIT in common. The joke is always that, you know, uh, Greg went to MIT once and got two master's degrees, and I somehow went twice and only got one. So um, <laughs> that's kind of our trade-off. Um, and then, you know, Greg and I were talking just about shipping software, you know, as you do in, in 2016. And I, I think the interesting thing to us back then was that, you know, shipping software had been around. I mean, there were definitely companies that were using it. It was more that most software in this industry was built in the 1980s to solve the problems of the 1980s. And, you know, when we look at just what companies were struggling with today, uh, we felt like there was a real gap in the market. And so we started Shipwell. Uh, And what Shipwell became is a modern TMS platform, transportation management software platform uh, that combines visibility and connectivity to other software and carriers. So today, Shipwell is connected digitally to one out of every four trucks in the US. uh, And we wrap the whole platform experience in a number of services, both 3PL and managed transportation services. Uh, We've become one of the fastest growing TMSs and we are the youngest TMS in Gartner's Magic Quadrant uh, by about 15 years. Um, So we're super proud of the work that we've done with mid-market companies and just helping them get more connected and visibility uh, in their supply chain. Fantastic. Fantastic. And and we're bringing you on today uh, to talk specifically about uh, one of the aspects of the industry that uh, is uh, kind of front and center um, in addition to everything else that's going on, but uh, sustainability, right? Uh, But uh, with that, there's so many other distractions going on right now uh, with everything that has happened over the last... uh, two years now uh, and everything else that's going on afterwards. uh, Is that commitment to sustainability still strong? Is it wavering? Where do you think we are right now? (laughs) 
What do you mean, Jeff? Is there other stuff going on in the world right now? <laughs> uh, right? I mean, uh, between between a global pandemic and the culture wars and the actual wars, there's there's definitely a lot going on, right? Um, Just a little bit, yeah. Um, You know, I I think that uh, largely as it relates to sustainability, people and companies, they just they have to focus on what they can control and what's important to them. I mean, I do think we're still seeing the trend continue. I mean, it was only last week that the SEC said that they're looking at adding a climate impact report to the required reporting for publicly traded companies just to, you know, beef up and standardize and enhance the the climate related disclosures that publicly traded companies uh, have. Um, organically, you know, I still think we're seeing a lot of companies talk about how sustainability is important to them. Um, I think we saw nearly all of the largest companies in the world, uh, well over 2000 companies now have set science-based carbon targets. And so, you know, a lot of these are, you know, household names, Amazon, Apple, Unilever, Starbucks. Um, and, you know, I think what we've also seen is that a lot of these companies are consumer facing. And that's historically been, you know, part of the virtue signaling or whatever you'd say, you know, as a company, you want to be thought of as being eco-conscious. So you would focus on sustainability. We're also seeing where, you know, a lot of these changes are happening with non-consumer related companies as well. So um, we're seeing it with mining companies. We're seeing it with, uh, you know, Maersk, the the shipping company. Um, You know, I, I think the sustainability commitment is very much still there. Um, and I think that uh, supply chains are an ideal place for them to take root. Now, with that uh, goal towards sustainability, um, a lot of companies that uh, try to get there um, will sometimes go with the technology or software route. But uh, can can an out of the box uh, solution like uh, like software, for example, uh, really uh, impact real world sustainability if there's no company wide commitment to that cause? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really fair question. And I'm I'm a naturally skeptical person. You know, like um, this is just to share what it's like in my household. My wife, really big into recycling. Um, at the same time, uh, not appreciative of me pointing out how much, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions come from one supermax cargo ship as it relates to how, how deeply we sort uh, our recycling. Um, so I, I think the, the general curve is just that everyone has to do their part. You know, everything is connected. Um, and I think sustainability is really an interesting case because, you know, for me, not not to date myself, but going through business school, um, we were starting to see a shift. And it used to be, you know, that companies, their sole goal was to maximize shareholder value, um, maximizing the profits for shareholders. And around the time I was finishing business school, that conversation was changing from shareholder value to stakeholder value. And it's a subtle change, but stakeholders as a broader definition also, you know, means uh, a company's community or its employees. And so when we look at sustainability specifically, according to the EPA, the typical business supply chain um, accounts for 90% of a company's greenhouse gas emissions on average. So for the average company, 90% of their greenhouse gas emissions will come from their supply chain. And this number is obviously, it's a very big number, right? Shipping is gigantic. And if you just were to take all the shipping in the world, put it into a bundle uh, and make it a country, uh, it would account for the six largest emissions in the world. So it's meaningful. Um, And so, you know, a company commitment, fantastic. In a world, world where the company can commit to something like this as much as the department can, I think that's the best of both worlds. But even if it's just the transportation department that leads this charge, 
you know, alongside other commitments of reducing costs, improving visibility, all the other things that they're going to be trying to do, I still think they can make a really meaningful dent in, in sort of what it means for overall sustainability. All right. Uh, so uh, with the uh, an eye towards those stakeholders, then does the commitment to sustainability come first or or, or does uh, opening the their eyes to uh, a solutions capabilities come first when the, when you're trying to decide what to do? Yeah, I I like that framing. I think it's a it's kind of a provocative chicken or egg kind of question, right? Um, you know, I I think that a lot of the companies that we name, whether it's like an Apple or an Amazon or something where you know there's there's a consumer value there. Um, there's arguably also a business reason for them to embrace sustainability. Uh, I think that um, what we largely seen there was a study over you know ten thousand people, seventeen countries. And it basically said uh, what I think we all know, 85% of consumers have become greener in their purchasing uh, and 60% rate sustainability as an important purchasing criteria, right? I think that we all feel this, you know, we want to support companies that we identify with that we feel are, you know, contributing, you know, not harm to the world. Um, and so for a lot of those companies, there's a legitimate reason for them to do it from a company, you know, first level. Um, I think in our experience at Shipwell, we've seen a pretty even mix. You know, we definitely have those companies uh, that sustainability is a priority. You know, it's part of their brand, it's part of their ethos. It's something that they want to represent really authentically to their employees, and their customers, and their stakeholders. Um, but you know, we also live in the real world, and as much as those things are great at grabbing headlines, uh, we have a lot of companies that definitely see it as a secondary priority. Uh, behind, you know, running a more profitable, more efficient, just a better business. And so um, I think that supply chain uh, specifically for those second type of businesses is an interesting one because, you know, costs are so interrelated with carbon footprint. You know, in fact, our most impactful sustainability case study uh, came as a byproduct of a large company's initiative to just try to lower their transportation spend. And what we found was that by optimizing their transportation spend through better carrier mix and you know, better optimization of their shipments, they cut out something like 40% of miles driven. And so not only did that you know, result in a 30-something percent reduction in cost of their transportation spend, but that 40% uh, that was no longer being driven has a measurable sustainability impact. So I don't know. I, I guess it's maybe not a very easy way to answer that question, that chicken or egg style. But I think wherever a company starts, they're able to get to a place where they can still have meaningful impact for sustainability. All right. Well, that's a good segue into this next question then, because you talked about a lot of large companies and, uh, and devoting cost uh, to those programs. But um, when you focus on sustainable transportation options, you're typically talking about large companies that have the staff and the budgets to address that issue. So how do SMBs uh, hope to uh, make a sustainable program work without those staffs and budgets behind them? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really, really interesting topic. I remember when we worked with our first company that uh, hired in a chief sustainability officer, and I was making jokes about how you know you've made it as a big company now. Um, and I think for a lot of companies, th there's very much a do well, then do good kind of mindset. Um, and I don't even know if that's like necessarily wrong. I, I understand the, you know, the difficulties of running a small business. That's definitely what I grew up with. And you know, as a business owner, I can fully appreciate that, you know, your first thing is making sure you can deliver value to customers and make payroll. And then secondly, you'll save the environment too, if you can get a, ch a chance to do it, right? Um, and I, I think this divide actually shows up in the data. 
Um, you know, for companies with over a thousand employees, nearly 70% of them have sustainability programs. Meanwhile, if you look at smaller companies, 250 or less employees, that 70% number drops to 37%. So it's almost half. And so when we look at that, there is a definite difference in terms of bigger companies being able to support these initiatives, you know, more formally. Um, but Salesforce did a study where they actually talked to a lot of the, um, the employees and people that worked at these smaller companies. And, you know, 75% of them said that they still view corporate sustainability as a moral imperative. I think it's more just about, um, you know, that maybe it's a gap in knowledge or um, less actionable ways to provide an impact there. And so whether, whether the reason is sort of real or manufactured or just it's a lower priority, I think we definitely see that. And so um, my thought on sort of the framework for a solution around this, how can we make SMBs uh, more approachable as it comes to things like sustainability? My thought is you have to make it easy. This means that you have to make the data easy to see and understand so that action can be taken without a whole lot of overhead. You know, you won't have whole departments devoted to this. Um, and so you really have to be in a place where the data is your friend. And with the right information and metrics on where waste is being created, I think it's possible to create a sustainability program without all the need to, to form a full team and manage it. Do you want me to go a little bit deeper into some of the steps that we've seen with some of our, our companies just in terms of you know, how I think they can do that? Yeah, absolutely, please do. I think the first thing is, you need to find what your baseline is. You know, where we focus is sort of uh, SMBs and medium-sized companies. Uh, Shipwell's average customer is about $100 million in revenue, but it definitely skews larger and smaller. And for most of those companies, and I think this is the Gartner statistic, 85% of them have never had something that manages transportation, right? They're still cobbling all this together. And in a world where that's the case, they're still struggling to figure out a lot of their baseline information, much less their sustainability information. And so by having everything in one place, you can start to measure it, right? So how many deadhead miles are your trucks traveling? Uh, how much space are you utilizing on the trailers? How much time are you idling at docks? Um, are there better optimizations you could make between shipments and routes? And the more areas you can measure and the details you can add to them, the easier it becomes to identify opportunities for improvement. And this is, this is really that first step because the opportunities that will be identified are not just sustainability initiatives. They tie a lot towards you know, saving money, improving efficiency, letting, letting people go home on time or letting customers know where their shipments are. And the second thing that happens is that by having that data, you'll be able to see what the key metrics are and then you can start to measure and iterate on them. And so in a world where you have to do all this manually, that's, that's a monumental task. And, you know, you, you would need a whole department to deal with it. Um, but I think this is really one of those areas where specifically in supply chain with basic software and, and, you know, an attention to detail, you can make great strides to it. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a measure where a lot of SMBs, I think it's about a third of SMBs, uh, report higher direct costs and higher indirect costs as their top two challenges. This makes sense because it's basically it's time and money, right? When is everything not governed by the limits of time and money? And so in a world where you start to justify, you know, just supply chain efficiency, what you generally find is that the two largest drivers of ROI are the time spent in different activities and the money saved as it results in sort of uh, efficiencies and freight spend. And so um, this is where I think software, especially for SMBs, can be a real partner 
in terms of not only wrangling supply chains, but also driving impact for sustainability. Great. That's great. Now, I want to touch on the, the trucks uh, in a little bit. But uh, before we get to that, I want to uh, point out something that we've identified at Inbound Logistics as, as being another one of those uh, distractions that's uh, haunting the industry right now, um, particularly when you were talking about uh, all that, all the staff that uh, is needed to, to keep uh, some of this stuff kind of running. Um, we're seeing uh, in the HR world something that uh, people are identifying as the great resignation. Uh, with staffing shortages uh, all over the place. Now, it's got to be difficult to manage operations uh, with an, an eye towards sustainability when you don't have the staff to back you up. Um, so what do you think? What, what can be done to uh, kind of alleviate that situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, uh, to your earlier question, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And um, I think this is a general... Uh, frustration that lots of businesses experience, whether it's a big frustration or a small one, I, I think most businesses are touched by it in some way. You know, when we started Shipwell, one of the opportunities that, that we saw was just uh, most supply chain software is old. You know, the, mm -hmm. the green screens, the difficulty using it, like there's a lot of friction that that sort of comes with being a power user in a TMS. That's typically been a process that, you know, takes like six months to get certified for most, most legacy providers. And um, in a world where the average tenure in a company can be measured in, you know, maybe months at this point, maybe a few years, um, that's a significant investment in terms of having someone get, you know, sophisticated enough to drive impact. And so um, I think it, an, an unexpected benefit that we saw was mid-market, which is, which is a sort of our, our core focus. Most of those businesses, what they really value is, you know, usable uh, simple, powerful software that can drive a strong return on investment, right? And by having it be usable, key personnel are able to be trained on it faster and just come up to speed. And it makes that knowledge transfer a lot easier um, and reduces, you know, a lot of the manual processes and automation, gets documentation in place. I think for a lot of companies, and this, this once again, uh, in terms of recurring themes, there can be a chicken and egg right? Where if you're the type of company where a lot of knowledge is just tribal knowledge, you know, someone knows something, someone else knows something else, and then you largely solve problems by just asking around, that becomes really tricky as people either join and need to be trained or leave the business and take that knowledge with them. And so this is where I think software specifically is able to do a lot in terms of having con continuity and driving value. And then, you know, just for Shipwell in general, one of the reasons we ended up having a managed transportation function was just we saw where a lot of transportation departments, even in the best of times, are really busy, right? I mean, just, I don't know any transportation department we've ever gone to and been like, oh, it's really very calm here, <laughs> right? So I think having it where we can help a company uh, implement software, but also at the same time, um, you know, find ways that we can help them with capacity, you know, tracking shipments, helping with invoices, just provide breathing room is, is sort of an important eye around how we help sort of drive that change management. Interesting. Interesting. Now, uh, to go back to that, that truck question, one of the, uh, staffing shortages that we're seeing, uh, is, uh, drivers, uh, for trucks. Um, now does that motivation to get capacity to, uh, close up that capacity crunch, does that run counter to sustainability efforts? This might be touchy, but, uh, what, what is your take on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, I, you know, I think the short answer is yes. I, I think that getting capacity can run counter to sustainability. 
Um, but I, I also think that the paradigm, the world where those two things are at odds is also changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we see at Shipwell, but it's present in so many other companies in this industry is um, the world of supply chains is becoming more connected. Um, it used to be that, you know, if you wanted to get really good at shipping, you hired some people, they brought a Rolodex, you used some, some software to keep track of it, but you largely were on your own. And I think what we're seeing is as the world becomes more connected, you know, you're connected to carriers, you're connected to your other software partners, and you start to get all of these things in one place. Um, what you'd naturally find, you know, we've talked about how those things help with sustainability, but I think it also helps with capacity. You know, a more efficient supply chain usually means lots of different things to different people, but um, a common theme is around having a more efficient supply chain to lower hard costs generally can be done by trying to increase your, your capacity, your reach to other carriers. And so one of the things is if you are able to build diversity and options into your transportation network, you're going to have more options, not only for capacity, but also for sustainability. I mean, and this is this is just sort of like a, a recent thought that I haven't fully thought through, but, um, you know, a lot of the value that uh, people look for in software-defined capacity will measure things around how optimization can provide other options, right? And you can measure that in the costs or sort of the time and the on-time performance. But one of the things is as the world gets more connected, and if we're thinking like three or four steps out, one of the things that can be done is around maybe call it spot freight, for example. Not only can you optimize around, you know, the cost for sure um, and the on-time performance also for sure, but what about if you could also prioritize what carriers got what shipments based on how far away they were from the pickup location currently? That's a level of optimization that one would have sustainability options, but also a carrier's proximity to the pickup location near the time of, you know, the appointment or whenever the load's ready um, would also help with capacity because odds are it's an easy choice for them. So, I mean, I think we've seen this um, in sort of a, a tangential way, just, you know, Shipwell is connected to something like 2 million ELD units across the U.S. Um, and we're actively engaged with about one out of every four truckers in the U.S. So, you know, you, you, you get to see this diversity of choice and access to real-time data, but you know, I, I think this is one of those areas where even if today, you know, you could you could see that mantra of, you know, do well, then do good. Um, I think as the world becomes more connected for supply chains where, you know, innovation is playing a part, uh, you know, you're able to find smaller and smaller fleets because they're more increasingly connected to just the general ecosystem. I think this is one of those areas where technology and sort of how that, that world changes is going to allow companies to not only ship smarter and gain capacity, but also help with sustainability. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's get back into some of those uh, distractions then, uh, and uh, talk about something that is affecting all of us uh, right now: um, the increase in fuel costs, uh, the continuing increase. It looks like. Um, how do companies plan out future pricing so that they can uh, better manage that transport spend? I know it. It feels like we're living in a new world now, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> I don't know when exactly it changed, but uh, uh, it, it definitely hasn't been the same uh, for a while, and. Um, you know, I, I think supply chains have, I want to say always been volatile, but I mean, I, I got to tell you, I feel like recent memory is definitely weighing me on this one. For the last two years, it has definitely been volatile. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
it feels like a lifetime ago when it was all about the toilet paper shortages, the mac and cheese shortages, and then the semiconductor shortages. And, you know, I, I think whether now it's rubber, glass, or any number of other things, um, I think the common theme is that companies need to build in more flexibility into their supply chain. Um, I was on a customer call today, and we were talking about another wave of COVID shutdowns in China affecting ports. And I'll be honest, I thought that was something that we were we were past by now. And so, you know, I, I think the common theme is whatever the new normal is, whether it's, you know, rising fuel costs because of an actual war, because of processing capacity, because of, you know, even just snags like the Suez Canal or whatever it is, um, this is where companies, as they think about what their supply chain needs to look like, it, it is going to have to be more connected in the future. Um, and the value of being connected means that it can be flexible. You can learn to reroute things. You can learn to set different preferences uh, around um, costs and performance and availability. And I mean, I think this is something where we focus a lot of time. I think that our internal benchmarking is that uh, most companies reduce their operating expenses by about 30%. And that, you know, through that more connected supply chain, you know, you gain access to additional carriers, you gain visibility into where shipments are and sort of what your business and intelligence looks like. Um, and you gain, you gain tools to see outside of your four walls to sanity check, you know, is this the right price for this lane? Is, is, <laughs> is something on time? Um, and these are all foundational building blocks that I think become become that flexibility that companies need. Um, I mean, one of the things that I just think will be very cool, you know, over the next few years is right now this industry is going through a phase of just discoverability. It's very hard to know, you know, how many shipments are you know, going from Austin to New Jersey today. And, you know, in a world where it's hard to know those carriers, those preferences, as the world becomes more connected, these things become known. And so as that unknown turns into things that are known, uh, you can then start to, to enact those preferences. And, you know, I think this is one of the coolest things about this industry in particular is that a lot of the value that's created, it's just by giving people what they want. Once you know where everything is and how it's all connected and what people's preferences are, you can start to set things around, you know, ensuring on-time performance while still making sure that all the drivers got to stay in their own location. They got to be home at night if that's what they wanted. Like this is the, the value of a more connected world. And so as it relates to fuel costs, one of the things with a more connected world and that efficiency is it can generally result in a tightening of um, miles driven. And so, you know, it's not great that fuel costs are up as much as they are, but largely I think what we've seen through optimization is we've been able to consolidate shipments and save something like 30 to 40% of miles driven, especially with our beta customers. And so if we start looking at ways to offset, you know, that fuel cost and achieve a more flexible supply chain, I think this is just the value of, you know, uh, modern software and, um, and the supply chain. And well, the supply chain has certainly not been more front and center than it has in the last couple of years. But um, uh, a lot of great information there for anybody looking for some uh, potential solutions. Jason, uh, where can the audience go for more information if they wanted to follow up with you? Yeah, absolutely. So we're Shipwell and we're at shipwell.com. Uh, if you have any other questions, feel free to check out the website and click on the links. Fantastic. Uh, hopefully we're on the other side of things, uh, all of these distractions sooner rather than later. Jason Traff, thank you so much for your time today. Stay safe. Thanks so much, Jeff. Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash get il. That's bit.ly 
L Y slash get underscore I L and stay ahead of the 3PL game. The Inbound Logistics Podcast is a production of Inbound Logistics Magazine. For the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation, and supply chain practices, get your free print and digital subscription at inboundlogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at inboundlogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics Podcast.